More money, more taxes. It's the fact of life for any real estate investor. However, there are some interesting ways to shelter some of your money from taxes. One useful tool that the U.S. government has allowed us is called a 1031 exchange. And that's what we're talking about on this week's episode of Flipping Awesome Podcast. Welcome to episode number six of Flipping Awesome Podcast. Every week, we share some of our experiences around a topic. We also talk to an expert or entrepreneur to share their story with us. This week's topic is 1031 Exchanges. I'm your co-host, Heather Foss, and I'm a licensed real estate agent in the state of Minnesota with Remax Results. And with me, as always, is my co-host and producer, Marshall Saunders. Hey, Heather, how's it going? Not too bad, Marshall. It's, it's going really well. You know, we covered tax-related topics for the last two weeks, and uh, I'm hoping somebody out there is still awake. Yeah, they can be a little dry. Uh, taxes, like we talked about on last episode, taxes can get give everyone some agita. You know, maybe taxes might not be the most interesting thing. However, what we're talking about today is a bit more exciting because the first uh, thing that we're talking about is how this can save you money and really help your bottom line. But the first message I want to convey to everyone is to check out our webpage at flippingawesomepodcast.com or like our page on Facebook by searching Facebook for Flipping Awesome Podcast. You'll find us. And there's a lot of resources there that will help you. Uh, Please hit the subscribe button on whatever podcast source you found us on. And be sure to rate and review Flipping Awesome Podcast. By subscribing, you'll get our episodes the moment that they come out rather than waiting for us to advertise them on Facebook. Ten thirty one exchanges. Heather, have you ever dealt with ten thirty one exchanges for clients? So I have been on the buy side of a seller who's going to use a ten thirty one exchange shelter, um, and it's it's actually been pretty pretty neutral. Like we we really didn't notice the difference um, in the process as a buyer. Um, but I I've heard that they can um, they can cause some delays if the if the seller isn't prepared properly, or or sometimes if it's their first one. Um, What do you know about 1031 exchanges? The basic idea of 1031 is if you sell a property and buy a very similar property, it has to be the same class of property. It has has to be around the same price range. If they're like properties, you can sell one, buy the other, and not have to pay your capital gains on that property. You kind of roll your capital gains forward into the next property. The reason for that is to be an incentive to people to keep doing investment real estate and not having like, oh man, I can't buy my next property. I can't put, I can't fix up that next home down the street. I can't buy that uh, commercial property and fix it up and and help the neighborhood because I'm dissuaded to do so because I'm going to have a big capital gains problem and expense. And to remove that or or at least to lessen that burden and to keep people investing in property, uh, the IRS set this up. So it has to be like property, like property, and it has to be within a certain time frame. So you can't just sell a property and then 10 years later, well, I, I bought the same property with it, so I don't have to pay taxes. There is a time frame, um, and, and we'll get into the time frame a little bit more in depth when we talk to uh, Jeff Peterson in a few moments. There are companies out there now uh, 
that are set up as 1031 exchange companies. And what they do is they help you. They will take your money from one property, hold it, and then allow you to use that money later on. So helps you with it, that timeline, and it also uh, helps rationalize and explain to the IRS why this was like property for like property. They're, they're basically there as kind of intermediaries in this 1031 process. Because doing it on your own can be kind of tough uh, to find a similar property and, and to quote unquote find a like property within this certain amount of time. You know how fast the market moves right now. Right. And so selling something and buying something can be uh, a little daunting to, to have a, a strict time frame on you. Right. So these companies help you with that. Do you think that this is a tool that any like Jim, Bob or Jane could use? Yes, absolutely. It's it's not for the extremely wealthy. It's for people who have vacation homes or, or non-primary residence properties or smaller residential style investment properties. I think anyone can use it, but I think it really it was meant for those type of people. And like I was mentioning before, it really is just a tool to allow people to fix up neighborhoods and and to make that investment that does make them money but can beautify an area and kind of help and release some of that money into the economy yeah there's a yeah it's a definitely a ripple effect right. uh, when when you trigger a purchase you know all these things happen so this is awesome i can't wait to hear more about it so like I mentioned, we're going to be talking to Jeff Peterson in a second, who is the expert on this subject. But the first thing you need to put together when you get involved in investment real estate is a good team, whether it be real estate lawyers, lenders, inspectors, tradespeople of all sorts. But first and foremost, you need a real estate agent. Heather and I have an elaborate real estate network at our fingertips of agents who put their customers first and truly know the best plan to get started in real estate investment in your area. If you'd like us to match you up with a great agent in your area, simply go to our website at flippingawesomepodcast.com. Click on the experts link at the top of the page. Fill out the form, hit submit. It's a great place to start. Marshall recently sat down with Jeff Peterson with Commercial Partners Exchange Company, LLC, who provide qualified intermediary services for 1031 tax-deferred exchanges. This guy has forgotten more about 1031 exchanges than most people will ever know. So, Jeff, I get a lot of people that ask me about 1031 exchanges, and I know a little bit around the edges, but could you give me a basic core definition of what a 1031 exchange is? So many people don't know very many provisions of the tax code, but they do know 1031. It's like the most popular <laughs> of the tax code sections. Right. I think that the reason Congress has kept this tax deferral code section in the code for almost 100 years now is that it allows investors now real estate investors, to defer the recognition of their gains when they sell their old investment or business real estate and they're not cashing out. 
They're redeploying, reinvesting all of their proceeds into other like-kind real property that's also going to be held for investment or business purposes. Now, that's wonderful for investors. They don't recognize any gains. They get to parlay up into the bigger, better property. But it's actually wonderful for our economy, and that's why I think the government has this code section, because it organically allows investors to strategically pick the most advantageous replacement investment, move their capital where that's going to do the best good for them. But in that process, we keep real estate values high. We generate jobs. Every time that there's velocity in the marketplace, a real estate agent's getting a commission, a mortgage company's making a loan, a title company's doing a closing, the local county tax assessor's raising the property values, and everybody wins when there's velocity in the marketplace. And also, I think there's an intrinsic interconnection between high real estate values and high employment. Values are high. Unemployment is at like a 40-year low. Right. I think that we need Code Section 1031 to organically stimulate the economy, create value for everyone. Uh, that's just my take. But And the basic idea is that I don't have to pay taxes. I don't have to pay capital gains taxes when I sell a property, even though I have, I've made $100,000 equity on that property uh, over time. I can, as long as I take that and I put it into a like value or a similar type of property, I don't have to pay capital gains on that. That's right. The magic language is it's a like kind exchange. So real estate for real estate. But real estate is very broadly construed. Sure. A farm in Decorah, Iowa is like kind to the IDS center. They're okay. both real estate. Right. Now, the IDS center is probably of higher grade and quality but it's still the same character. It's still real estate. And so you have a great broad spectrum of potential replacement investments that you can choose anywhere in the United States. The IRS never truly lets you get out of taxes, right? Uh, it, it does this roll it forward? Do you have to pay it later? Or will you eventually have to pay this ta these taxes? Well, my shtick is a mantra for attaining enlightenment and maximum tax efficiency. Mm -hmm. And the mantra is defer, defer, defer. Do you feel yourself calming? Right. Like your heart rate's very, just dropping. It's like a so mantra. Yeah. Defer, 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 die. Code section 1031 says you can defer the recognition of the gain and you can continue to do 1031 exchanges over and over again throughout your lifetime. But when you die and your heirs inherit these investments that you have, they get the property, not with mom and dad's low basis that they carried throughout their lifetime, but they receive the property with the basis stepped up hmm. to the fair market value at the time of the decedent's death, which is a great tax plan. Mm-hmm. But in order for that to work, somebody has to stop breathing, right? So, <laughs> you know, not a lot of people lining up to right. get the step up in basis. Right. There's a certain time limit, right, from when you can sell a property. You have to put that back into another like-kind property. What is the time limit on that? Back in the early 1921 time frame, the original 
predecessor to 1031. The numbering system was different then, but the original predecessor basically contemplated a simultaneous swap where I would give you my farm and you would give me your farm and we would just do a direct trade. Mm -hmm. In the 1970s, there was a lumber baron named T.J. Starker who came up with this novel idea that he would do a deferred exchange. He would sell his lumber holdings in Oregon and instead of receiving cash, he would designate some properties that the purchaser of his property would give him as consideration for what was given up. Mm -hmm. And that case went all the way to the United States Supreme Court and Starker won the decision. Hmm. He blew the lid on the 1031 and the modality changed to, oh, I can do deferred exchanges. Fast forward to the 1990s, the IRS got the authority to write the Treasury regulations to ratchet down and constrain this process. They didn't want people having the wild, wild west 1031 without parameters. The IRS ratcheted this down and said, you need to complete your exchange within 180 days. Hmm. But if the due date for filing your federal income tax return pops up within that 180 days, then we're going to shorten down the exchange period to the federal filing deadline. Hmm. So if you started your exchange in December of 2018 hmm. and you file, say, April 15th, you might not get your full 180 days unless you ask for and receive an extension on your federal filing deadline. Sure. You can't extend the 180-day period, but you can extend your tax filing deadline. Gotcha. Now, the other curveball that the IRS threw in the regulations is they said during the first 45 days of that exchange period, you have to designate or identify in writing what replacement properties you're going to receive. So the only properties that are eligible after midnight of the 45th day are those that you wrote down on your designation. You have 135 days left after the 45th day has elapsed, but the only properties will, that will work are those that were previously identified. A lot of taxpayers are aware of these rules and they are planning ahead even before they've closed on the sale of their relinquished property, they're out hunting for replacement properties. And they may even have the replacement properties lined up with an option agreement or a purchase agreement so that they can close on the relinquished property on day one and acquire the replacement property maybe the next day. They can go back to back, be in and out of the exchange quickly. It is prudent in this hot hot seller's market that we're in, to be working on the replacement solution before you've closed on the relinquished property. Right. Let's get down to what your firm does. What role do you play? How do you put these together? In the Treasury regulations, they created some safe harbors, parties that can facilitate these exchanges. One of the safe harbors is the qualified intermediary safe harbor. What is a qualified intermediary? Well, basically, we facilitate the exchange. We act as a neutral third-party administrator to prepare the 1031 documents for the party that's selling the old property 
And most importantly, we receive the cash proceeds from the sale of the relinquished property. We hold your money. If you have access, either constructive receipt or actual receipt of your sales proceeds, you have a recognition of the gain. So instead of having you receive the cash, the intermediary receives the cash and holds those funds for eventual use to acquire your replacement property that you identify and designate. The intermediary is an important participant, but it's not the only person that you want on your team if you want to do a 1031 exchange. You should also have your accountant or tax preparer involved in the transaction to give you tax advice. You may also want to have an attorney helping you with the real estate legal documents and understanding what it is that you're signing and entering into. And then you also probably need to have a competent real estate broker who can navigate these waters and help you make good business decisions on what to acquire and the terms of those agreements that you enter into. So we're part of the solution, but we're not the only participant in your deal. Sounds like a great thing to ask a real estate agent when you're looking to work with somebody, real estate brokerage. What's your competency with 1031 exchanges? Are you familiar with it? Uh, Are you going to help me out with the deadlines? My favorite thing is to work with real estate agents who are going to do a 1031 exchange for their own Mm. deal. And I tell them, even if it's a small deal, this is the greatest learning opportunity because you will never ever fully understand it sure. until you've lived it. Until you're in it. I've heard a lot of the term reverse exchanges. Could you tell me what a reverse exchange is? Imagine that you start your work on honing in on a replacement property. And lo and behold, you find the perfect replacement property. It's the dream property that you've always wanted. But you haven't yet sold your relinquished property And maybe the buyer of your relinquished property is dragging their feet and holding you up. The seller of the replacement property says, hey, I'm not patient. This property will not remain available very long. I've got competing offers from five other people. They're all cash offers with no contingencies. If you want this property, you need to step up to the plate and make me an offer right now. And you say, look, I need to do a 1031 exchange. This only makes sense if I'm deferring my gains from the old property. How can I acquire this replacement property when I haven't yet sold my relinquished property? The IRS in the year 2000 came out with a safe harbor procedure called RevProc 2037, where the intermediary can act as a straw man purchaser to acquire the new replacement property and hold it on the shelf for up to 180 days. And during that 180-day period, then, you offload, dispose of, get rid of your relinquished properties. And once those sales have occurred, we can take the proceeds from your sale, apply it towards the parked replacement property, and then transfer that replacement property to you. It's like we take a can of Campbell's soup off the shelf that's been sitting there waiting for you, and we hand you your replacement property. Gotcha. And let me tell you, it takes a lot of stress off the taxpayer Mm -hmm. because that 45-day identification period and the strain of having to work under those tight deadlines, it's immense. 
So having the replacement property sitting there waiting for you is great. In this market, it's really easy to sell. It's hard to buy. Oftentimes when we do these reverse exchanges, we will form a new LLC at the Secretary of State's office where the property is located. It might be in Texas, might be in Wisconsin. We form that LLC initially having the intermediary be the sole member of that LLC. But if we're doing an exchange for a single taxpayer, one way to transfer the replacement property is to assign the sole membership interest in the replacement LLC to the taxpayer. Hmm. So they own the LLC that owns the real estate. Right. And that's a really good way to do it, less cumbersome. And particularly if you've got mortgage financing on the replacement property, right. the mortgage or always stays the same. It's the LLC. Right. So it's a little bit easier way to wrap up the reverse exchange. Yeah, and it just moves that 180-day deadline from the buy side to the sell side. Under the safe harbor, yes. Your 180 days would start from the acquisition, the closing of that replacement property. But just like you said, uh, on the other, on a regular 1031 exchange, you should kind of have some oars in the water as to your selling and, and maybe some pre-marketing and talk to some people out there about, hey, you interested in this type of real estate, something like that. Don't just start from scratch and once that 180-day uh, clock starts ticking. Absolutely. And that's part of having a good team, sure. having your real estate marketing plan in place for the relinquished property. You know, having your oars in the water, as you say, right. that's really important. Does your firm only work in the state? You're headquartered in Minneapolis. Are you? Do you work anywhere in the country? Or? We are nationwide. Okay. So we'll facilitate exchanges in California to New York, Texas to uh, North Dakota. Uh, and we do get involved in a lot of transactions all over the country. Part of my, I guess, uh, gift, if you will, is that I am able to explain complex concepts and help people through complex transactions in a way that is um, informative and kind of stress-free. And so for that reason, I've been involved with a lot of different financial planners from all over the country who are acting as sort of that trusted advisor and making the introduction to their high net worth clients from all over the country, and they're doing deals all over the country. So it's been a lot of fun to be able to do transactions everywhere. Is there any limit to how many times you can use this 1031 exchange? Not really. Um, as long as your cognitive intent is to hold the property for investment or business purposes, you could continue to parlay over and over again, defer, 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 you know, for a long time until you pass away. Do I have to use all of the proceeds from a sale and then put that into the 1031? The IRS looks at the first dollars off the table, not as the return of your seed money or the return of your basis. The first dollars off the table are the gain or profit dollars. Okay. So yes, you could take $10,000 off the table but you will be sharing maybe 35% of that with the government gotcha. between the state and federal taxes. You might be, you know, sure. left with, you know, three quarters of that. Right. So what a lot of people do is they say, I want to take all of my net proceeds, all of my equity, and reinvest it into the replacement property. 
And by the way, the replacement property should be of equivalent or greater value than what was sold. So sure. you're continuing your investment into something of at least equivalent value, mm-hmm. if not greater. Once you've completed your exchange, in a separate subsequent transaction, in theory, you could put additional debt on the replacement property. And a lot of investors will put a revolving line of credit or second mortgage on their replacement property later on down the road. Mm -hmm. Because if they have an unanticipated repair expense or they have a vacancy, they may need that liquidity to tide them through a tough time. Mm -hmm. So what we call the napkin test is a three general rule of thumb. When you acquire the replacement property, go up or equal in value, go up or equal in equity or proceeds. And then the last benchmark is if you pay off any debt, mortgages, deeds of trust on the old relinquished property, you want to offset that debt relief by taking out new debt on the replacement property. Mm -hmm. Let me do a hypothetical. Yeah, please. Because this is a problem area. It's Basically, you're borrowing too much. Imagine that you sell a property for $400,000 and you pay off a $300,000 mortgage. You would say, all right, I need to go out and buy a replacement property of at least $400,000 and I need to take my $100,000 of cash and redeploy it into it. Mm -hmm. So let's say that you buy a $450,000 replacement property and I applaud you for going up in value. Mm -hmm. And you say, I'm applying all of my $100,000 towards the purchase price. But then you go to your banker and say, banker, I'm going to buy this property. I need you to give me the mortgage for the acquisition, but I also want you to loan me extra money for rehab work I'm going to do on it. Mm -hmm. So at the bottom of your replacement property closing statement, it shows cash to buyer slash borrower $50,000 because you took out too big of a debt or mortgage. Well, that cash that you're receiving at the closing that you have access to is boot. You got to really just borrow the bare amount needed to get the acquisition done so that your equity is really there in the property when you acquire it. And this is a very, very common mishap that we try to help people not have is that they're borrowing too much on the acquisition. And then after you've closed, then if you need to go in, use a line of credit, reestablish a line of credit on that new property, what have you, that might be where you get your $50,000 for um, the rehab. Right. You could even have terms in your loan agreement that say, if you meet an objective criteria after 30 days, You can amend and restate the mortgage amount and make it higher. So you have to fill a vacancy or fix a problem with the property. Then the lender will up your loan later in a subsequent loan modification. Sure. So that will be quick. You're you're not uh, starting from scratch with the entire uh, loan application process. And by the way, I see this scenario on deals that are small potatoes, Mm -hmm. and I see it on mega multi-million dollar deals. Mm -hmm. The same scenario unfolds all the time. And there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing against IRS rules. That's why it was established that way, right? Well, we tax income in the United States. Income is what we tax. Mm -hmm. When you borrow money, 
Yeah, it's not income. It's not income because you have an offsetting liability that you have to repay it. So it's a great way to kind of have your cake and eat it too. So how would I get in touch with you? What's the best way to reach you if I wanted you to be my intermediary in a 1031 exchange? We have a website, which is cpec1031.com. That stands for Commercial Partners Exchange Company. The best way to reach out to me is either shoot me an email or give me a call. My direct dial is 612-643-1031. Is that your license plate, too? It was, actually. Was it really? Well, thanks a lot for joining me today. I think you answered a lot of questions regarding 1031. Thank you. From Heather and I, thank you for joining us for this episode of Flipping Awesome Podcast. If you'd like to ask a question regarding any sort of real estate investment, call us at 612-352-9177. Again, that's 612-352-9177. I can't say that we'll have the answers to everything, but we'll try to get them. Or you can visit our website at flippingawesomepodcast.com. Also, Visit our page on Facebook where you can find additional video content for the show. Flipping Awesome Podcast is produced and recorded in the studios of Minnesota Podcasting, who can be found online at mnpodcasting.com. Of course, any tax or legal advice given on this show is for educational purposes only, and you should always consult your own tax or legal professional to receive advice specific to your own situation. You do not want to be taking our tax or legal advice, believe me. (laughs) Thanks again for joining us. And until next episode, we wish you a flipping awesome week. Flipping awesome.